Happy New Year, everybody, and I hope you guys had a great holidays. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa. We're done with 2020, man, and I have to say, I'm putting this thing in the back burner. I mean, I don't ever, 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 ever want to remember 2020. And uh, Brandon, welcome again on today's Saturday Scouting Combine. How are you doing today on this New Year's? Happy New Year to you, Sam, as well. And, you know, I'm in total 1,000% agreement with 2020. I'm honestly not going to think about. I'm probably I'll, – I'll probably tell my future kids of, of, about, about 2020, and I'm sure 2020 will definitely be written, written inside the history books. But, you know, I mean, what an absolute crazy year, not even just for the, from the Miami Dolphins side, from college football. We really never – when – I believe in mid-March when sports really was permanently shut down for a, a certain period of time, we really never, I mean, we really didn't know if we were going to be at this point. We got two semifinal college football games tomorrow to celebrate New Year's Day, to welcome 2021. Who would have honestly thought that we were going to be in this point? It's just absolutely amazing. I, I don't think we're ever going to see another year like we saw in 2020. Perseverance, my brother, and I pray to God we don't ever, ever in our lifetimes, in our children's future's lifetime, in our children's children's future's lifetimes, have a year like this. And, you know, speaking of 2020, especially from the Dolphins' perspective, I mean, what is there not to like? You draft our future franchise quarterback. You draft studs on the defensive and offensive line. You you're thinking about possibly going to the playoffs as well, possibly as a 10-win team or maybe an 11-win team against Buffalo. But aside from that, I mean, football especially, specifically for the Miami Dolphins, it's been, it's been a, a surprising year. Yeah, and from I mean from the my from the Miami Dolphins standpoint and, and head coach Brian Flores, they're gonna have to get it done this upcoming Sunday without veteran Ryan Fitzpatrick, who we were all alerted, I guess maybe earlier this morning or earlier mid mid afternoon that Fitzpatrick was tested positive for COVID nineteen. So he won't be out there Sunday and you know, it was funny when that dramatic come from behind victory in week sixteen against the Las Vegas Raiders, which I guarantee you maybe 97, 90% of Dolphins fans thought the game was over when, when Daniel Carlson kicked the – and what we all thought was the game-winning field goal with 19 seconds left in the fourth quarter. But, you know, as they say, that's why they call him uh, Fitz, Fitz Magic. But the Dolphins not having Ryan Fitzpatrick out there this upcoming Sunday, it kind of stains a little bit because we don't know whether head coach from, from Buffalo, Sean McDermott, whether they're left in arrest players or not. I'm honestly really, if you, and this is how I view about resting players when it comes to, you know, week 17, preparing for the NFL playoffs. If you, if you're a team that's, you know, clinched the, the number one seed. So for example, the Kansas City Chiefs locking up the top seed in the AFC East, there really is no point in playing Patrick Mahomes. So it's, it makes sense to start Chad Henney this week. But if you're a team like the Buffalo Bills and you really, I believe the Bills, they really – I don't think they necessarily clinched the number two seed yet. They could with a win this week. So don't be necessarily surprised if you see their starting offensive unit. Maybe you won't see them all four quarters, but you might see them for maybe an entire first half. Or I really don't necessarily see how that will play out. But 
I honestly want to see Josh Allen. I mean, here's all this talk about Josh Allen's been an MVP caliber quarterback next to Aaron Rodgers, next to Patrick Mahomes. So I honestly want to see what the Dolphins can do. And, hey, we're also looking at probably a 70% chance of snow this upcoming Sunday in Buffalo. Yeah, for sure. And I know we're going to talk a lot more about this in the preview pods, which is uh, coming up. And uh, we might have a special guest. Who knows? But make sure you guys stay tuned. Um, We had a lot of bowl game action this uh, holiday weekend. And uh, we're going to be getting the college football playoff semifinals, specifically the Rose Bowl and the All-State Sugar Bowl. However, we want to do a little bit of a recap with uh, Brandon and I's team as well, you know, the Miami Hurricanes and the Florida Gators. It wasn't – it was not good for both of our teams in uh, the Cheez-It Bowl and the Cotton Bowl uh, as well. Brandon, I mean, why would Kyle Trask not opt out of the Cotton Bowl? See that, and that's where, and that's where it, it, it becomes interesting. And speaking of Kyle Trask, I believe about an hour or two ago, he just declared his name for the 2021 NFL Draft. Yes, he did. Yes, he when, did. When I find, when I found out that Kyle Pitts was gonna opt out, when I found out that uh, Kadarius Tony was gonna opt out, when I find out that wide receiver Trayvon Grimes, who's a Fort a Fort Lauderdale native and went to high school at St. Thomas, when I find, when I found out that he was gonna opt out as well. It's like, I mean, you got three of your main offensive weapons who are opting out to prepare for the NFL draft. I, 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 I think Kyle Trask honestly should have sat out. And, I mean, thank goodness that he didn't suffer a, a catastrophic injury because that game overall, the Gators suffering a 35-point loss, that's probably got to be the worst loss under head coach Dan, Dan Mullen. And for the Miami Hurricanes, you get great news in Derek uh, King's coming back to the University of Miami and another year of eligibility and then plays the football game the Cheez-It Bowl versus Oklahoma State and suffers a gruesome leg injury you hoped and pray that it wasn't going to be a torn ACL and then reports came out that that's what it ended up being so prayers up to him I believe he should be ready for fall camp of 2021 but yeah I mean to to stand to your uh, point for the Miami Hurricanes and for the for the Florida Gators the football was not a it was not a great this this week was rough for the Hurricanes, and especially for the uh, Florida Gators. I know, man. And when I saw that first pick off of Trask, I was like, yep, there it goes down his draft stock. This game is going to be like this. And he did throw three interceptions in the first half, and one which was a pick six, which allowed Oklahoma to get off to a, good, a great lead. And you think about, I mean, it is one bad game per se it shouldn't be too much of a tank on his draft stock but i'm not gonna lie he lost a lot of money yeah that night in that loss against oklahoma he could have been a first round pick now you could say he could be a second third maybe fourth round pick as well and they were without you know 20 players the gators and the offense simply couldn't get it done yes you had freshmen and sophomores, but they're four and five star recruits. They should be used used to this big time game. And Trask, with the quarterback he is, in a Heisman watch as well, he should have stepped up to the level he would be playing at. And unfortunately, 
he didn't. I mean, I don't know if you saw, but I tweeted out that what's going to happen without all of these playmakers Florida has and Trevon Grimes and Kadarius Toney and Kyle Pitts. And look what happened. He didn't have his weapons, and he wasn't effective at all. I think it's going to play a major factor in his draft evaluation as well. And on the defensive side of the football, I mean, this season, Todd Grant, the man, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to come back. I mean, his defense has surrendered 600 yards in a game, not once, not twice, but three times this season. And prior to this season, the Gators only allowed 600 yards in a game twice in its long-standing history, 2014 against Alabama and 1996 in the Fiesta Bowl against Nebraska. I mean, is Grantham going to stick around and what kind of overhaul Dan Mullen will need to do for this defense? Well, they're going to have to figure it out. And whether the uh, the class of 2021 and the new re- – because I think Florida's going to be a dominant program still. I mean, Florida brings in great talent year in and year out. And about a month and a half ago, or even flashback to, uh, to October, the uh, between October and November, when Florida basically thrashed Georgia – Everybody was basically jumping on the bandwagon as to, oh, is, are the Florida Gators under head coach Dan Mullen, are they one of the four best teams in college football? But suffering losses to LSU, suffering a loss in the, in the SEC championship to Alabama, and the way they, they, they went out this week against the Oklahoma Sooners in the Cotton Bowl, as me, from a personal standpoint and from a diehard Florida Gators fan, that was an absolute embarrassment. Uh, whether whether defensive coordinator Todd Grantham comes back, that's a, that's 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 going to be up to the athletic director, and that's 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 going to be up to head coach Dan Mullen. But you know, I definitely agree with your point that the Gators defense allowing 600 yards and not once, not two, but three football games this year. It's it's un, it's like the Heat losing by 47 points this week to the Milwaukee Bucks. It's not acceptable. It's not welcomed in this specific culture. So the Gators allowing 55 points in any game, let alone a uh, a New Year's Six Bowl game, that 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 definitely hurts. Yeah, and you know the Heat came back; they won against the Bucks. That's just the Heat culture. The Gators are going to have to, you know, have some type of spark as well. Uh, when we're flipping this onto Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler had a rough first three games. And the light switch just turned on for him. And this guy is absolutely explosive as a freshman. You know, we come into Oklahoma, into Norman, Oklahoma, saying, oh, my God, Lincoln Riley. He's such a great offense coordinator. He's a quarterback guru. He did what he did with transfer quarterbacks in Jalen Hurts, in Kyler Murray, and with Baker Mayfield. And now he's molding Spencer Rattler into the mental version of himself using Rattler's skills and traits to perfectly execute this Oklahoma offense. I expect Oklahoma to be even better than this year. Possibly a top five team. Could they Could they make it to the 
college football playoffs next year? They probably can. They've done it before with other quarterbacks. But we're going to see how Oklahoma does next year. The well, Miami no. Hurricanes, man. I mean, they're just – the last two games defensively has just been something else. It's been something else. And there are people questioning Manny Diaz and his defense. And there are people saying he's on the hot seat. Uh I don't see it that way, Brandon. Do you? I, I, I don't really necessarily see it that way myself, but if you do flash back to recent bowl games, the Miami Hurricanes just simply haven't showed up. I mean, we could even talk about last year against Louisiana Tech in the – I believe it was the, the Shreveport uh, Independent Bowl. I mean, the Hurricanes were shut out. And Louisiana Tech played Georgia Southern last week, and Georgia Southern put on a thrashing – to Louisiana Tech. So in recent bowl games, I don't think the Miami Hurricanes have won a bowl game in about three, four years. I, I could be wrong. I haven't I haven't checked the, the overall. They haven't. 2016. They've yeah. won it once in the last 10 years. And a bowl game is important for any collegiate program because you got to remember, the recent recruits who basically go on their social media page and announce that I wanted, that I've committed to Alabama, Texas, wherever school they're elected to commit – these recruits are watching their team. They're watching these bowl games. And when they see Florida lose by 35, when they see Miami get shut out in a, in a bowl game against a school like and, – and no disrespect to Louisiana Tech, I'm sure they have a great head coach and a great football program. But when you're in a powerhouse conference like the ACC, you really shouldn't be losing bowl games year in and year out. And that's what I've seen in recent memory from the, the uh, Miami Hurricanes. Jumping off, I mean, even flashback to this week against Oklahoma State. The Hurricanes are down early, 21-0. You're already putting yourself in a major hole to come to come back. Yes, the Hurricanes were able to fight back. They lost 37-34. But at the end of the day, a loss is a loss, whether you lose by 100 or whether you lose by one. And that's the expectations. Those aren't the, ex the expectations at Coral, Coral Gables. The expectations are to win. And like 2017, when Miami was – ranked as high as two before falling in the season finale to uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, and, you know, fortunately enough, most of the recruits that were committed to Miami, they did not decommit at all. You know, they're coming back, and hopefully the defense figures is out, figures is out before um, their first game in 2021 against the uh, Crimson Tide of Alabama. In this game, Oklahoma State absolutely bludgeoned the defense. I mean, they called 15 consecutive pass plays to open the game and stormed out, as you said, to a 21 to nothing lead. Uh, Spencer Sanders was absolutely electric, and he looked like Spencer Rattler of Oklahoma. He looked like a Trevor, a mini Trevor Lawrence against these Miami Hurricanes. And, you know, Oklahoma State head coach Mike Gundy said it as well, you know, their plan going into this game was to try and offset some of the speed and strength the Hurricanes have on the front six of defense, and they gashed them. They're fast, they're athletic, but they're not so strong enough to, you know, properly maintain gap integrity. And they, and Oklahoma State threw the ball 25 times, and they were up 21 to zero. Um, as for the Derek King injury, you know, with modern medicine now, he should be fully healthy when training camp starts, and he should be okay as well. Uh, backup Nikosi Perry, we saw why he was a backup. I mean, 
he played in admirably, but he's a backup for a reason. Uh, Cameron Harris, he's going to be a reliable running back for the next year or so. Um, on the Oklahoma State side, uh, Tylon Wallace only played for the first half, and that was the plan with Gundy because he didn't want to risk anything for the NFL draft. And, you know, he only had six catches for 45 yards, and he wants to keep his draft stock up. Uh, you know, we just hope that, you know, Miami comes back into full form and hopefully, you know, the U is finally back in 2021 and able to win against uh, Alabama in Atlanta. Now, on to these bowl games. The first bowl game we're going to see is, is the Rose Bowl between Alabama and Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame laid an egg. Uh, against Clemson in the ACC championship game. Uh, Ryan Roberts from Locked On Irish and I, we talked about the things that could possibly go wrong for Notre Dame in that game. And essentially, it did. To be honest, I think Notre Dame is going to drop another egg and they're going to come out flat against Alabama in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Alabama jumps off to a quick 14 nothing, 21 nothing lead. Notre Dame's been in this in this position before. They've been to the college football playoff. If you're head coach Brian Kelly, you're spending your New Year's Eve doing a lot of film work because this is a team, and we say it all the time, it's like the Kansas City Chiefs. It's a team where you've got to – every possession is critical. Every turnover is critical. Every, every Any chance you have great field position against the Alabama Crimson Tide is absolutely critical. If Notre Dame falls behind as much as 14-0 early on, you can probably kiss their chances goodbye. But, hey, we're not Notre Dame fans. You talk to a Notre Dame fan, they're probably com they're probably confident as heck. They probably think that they're going to go in there tomorrow and they're going to pull off one of the biggest upsets of all time. And, hey, God, God bless them if, if, if they do. But I just don't see it happening with running back Najee Harris, wide receiver Devontae Smith. They're pretty much going to be doing all this without another first-round wideout talent in Jalen Waddle, And you still have quarterback Matt Jones, a Heisman finalist. I know. And Alabama is basically like a pro team at this point. you got Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, Najee Harris, Matt Jones, Landon Dickerson, Alex Leatherwood, Patrick Sertain II, Dylan Moses, Christian Barmore. And, you know, I'm running out of breath saying this, but these are all first- and second-round guys in the draft. I mean, I don't know what kind of game plan Brian Kelly is going to draw up for the Fighting Irish, but one has to assume he's going crazy right now on how to scheme his offense and defense against the mismatches Alabama is able to take. And, you know, they're a huge underdog going to this game. And, Brandon, do you know what the betting line is for this game? I believe the last time I checked, you know, it's funny that you're that we're going to speak about the uh, betting line. I believe the last time I checked, it was Alabama by twenty and a half. It was the last time I checked the overall spread. I, I it, it's tw it's negative twenty now. I don't know where that point five went away, but it's negative twenty, and it's 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 crazy. This big of a spread so in a college football playoff game. Yeah, by three touchdowns, basically. And I think Alabama will win by three touchdowns. I know I'm skipping all the steps here on what we usually do, but come on. This is Alabama and Nick Saban we're talking about. I mean, 
I I don't know, and I really I really do not see Alabama land land an egg to open the 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 new cal- calendar year. I just sim- I just sim- simply don't. I mean, even if Notre Dame jumps off to a, a surprising, shocking, amazing four, 14 nothing lead on Alabama, I still don't see them winning. Three, I mean, three keys for Notre Dame to pull off one of the biggest upsets in a long time. They're gonna have to control the uh, the uh, time the uh, time of possession. If you can keep the ball out of Matt Jones's hands, if you can keep the ball out of Najee Harris's hands, if you can somehow keep the ball out of any Alabama offensive player's hands, and if you can control the the, uh, the clock, then maybe the game will be closer than many of the sports experts think. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you've got two really good coaches. And I'm not disrespecting Brian Kelly in any way, shape, or form. I just like Nick Saban. It's like you're really – it's like they say, don't bet against Tom Brady. Don't bet against Patrick Mahomes. Don't bet against Aaron Rodgers. Don't bet against Bill Belichick, which there were a couple times where I kind of did bet against Bill, Bill Belichick, and I won some, and I lost some. But there were also some times where, you know, you bet against Nick Saban, and that might come back to haunt you as well. Don't bet against Brian Flores either now. Come on, we have to start saying this now. We have to start saying this now. Um, if Notre Dame is able, as you said, control the clock, if they're able to, to control the trenches as well, I think they might have a chance to make this game close. And if Ian Book does what Ian Book does best, you know, getting the ball to his playmakers and Kyron Williams, Ben Scrawn, and Javon McKinley, and his uh, – Big, huge freshman tight end, Michael Ma- Michael Mayer, who's 6'6", 200 and something pounds for a tight end. I think it will be an interesting game to watch. And we're forgetting, this isn't as dominant of an Alabama defense. And Alabama has shifted philosophies as well. They've gone from a dominant defensive team to an electric powerhouse on offense and they shred the sec all the time i think their average yards per play is it's 7.83 yards per play and 49.7 points a game i don't know how notre dame will be able to compete with them defensively we talk about jeremiah wusu koromoa and kyle hamilton on the back end, Najee Harris is a mismatch for them. Najee Harris can run anywhere. He can run any route. He can go through any of the gaps, and he can overpower these defenders as well through the second level. Um, Notre Dame is going to have to wrap up these guys quick, and if they miss a tackle, they're going to make they're going to make themselves pay, and they'll be shooting themselves in the foot for this as well. So both of us have Alabama in the first semifinal game. Let's jump now to the second semifinal game, a rematch of last year's in the 2019 college football playoff. We have the Oklahoma, excuse me, the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Clemson Tigers. These, these are two quarterbacks who were in the same exact position last year, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Right now, the odds are that Trevor Lawrence will be taking his talents to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars locking up the number one overall pick. And the New York Jets, right now, we really don't know whether they'll take a quarterback or what they will do. But if we want to speak about tomorrow's game, Usam, what are your keys or who do you think really is going to win tomorrow? 
I honestly had Ohio State winning last year, and Clemson was – and quarterback Trevor Lawrence was, 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 was able to shut me up. This year, I don't know, man. I think Ohio State can probably pull it off this year. Or do you see Trevor Lawrence and his experience at this – at the big game level – I mean, because I believe 95, 96% of the United States, even the entire globe, probably has another uh, college football national title game featuring Alabama and Clemson. I have that national title game the same way as the entire country. Um, Justin Fields has struggled against top defenses this year. I mean, and we're talking about top defenses in the Big Ten. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. He struggled against Indiana. He struggled against Northwestern. And he's going to struggle again against this Brett Venables defense. Last year, you know, in the bowl game, they threw the entire kitchen sink at Justin Fields. And he looked a little bit lost, even though they were able to come back. Ohio State doesn't have J.K. Dobbins anymore. They, you know, they've lost a couple of key players on defense. Their linebacking core is not what it was last year as well. And Clemson is Clemson. Dabo Sweeney has a little bit of a beef with Ryan Day and the Buckeyes. And we've heard it a couple times before, but he doesn't think Ohio State should even be in the college football playoffs just because they've only played six games within the Big Ten and not really beat anybody who is on their level either. And Clemson holds a 4-0 series edge over the Buckeyes. And all four of these meetings took place in bowl games or the playoffs. I mean, Clemson and Ohio State, they have a little bit of a rivalry going on. But it's a mismatched rivalry. And it's, it's, it's a great point that you, that you mentioned the number of games because Ohio State's coming to this game tomorrow night playing only six games. And Clemson pretty much playing an entire normal regular season schedule, finishing 10-1. and one. I just want to see how these, how these two quarterbacks perform. I mean, we saw the Ohio State Buckeyes jump off to a, a quick lead last year. And Trevor Lawrence was able to show his – Maturity, he wasn't able to panic under the bid moment because remember, there was 85, 90,000 fans last year. This year, you're not going to be seeing 85, 90,000 fans. You're going to be seeing nowhere near that number. So, depends on who wins the line of scrimmage is probably going to win this game and which quarterback is able to not panic. For example, if Ohio State's down 21-20 with a minute left in the fourth quarter and Ohio State has the, the, uh, the football with two timeouts left, how will Justin Fields perform? Because I can guarantee you a lot of NFL draft people are definitely going to be put it they're, – they're going to have their eyes glued to this game tomorrow night because the top two quarterbacks that are probably going to be off the board in this upcoming April's draft, you're probably going to be watching them on your television screen tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. And, you know, specifically when you talk about that situation, Justin Fields has to get back on track if he wants to be the second pick in the NFL draft or maybe top five, let's say. Uh, he did have a thumb injury in the Big Ten title game. Sure. Uh, he wasn't good against defenses like Indiana and 
Northwestern. Brent Venables, during that two-minute time period, this situation, is going to dial up something we have probably never seen before and what Ryan Day in Ohio State will probably have never seen before either. And it's going to be up to Justin Fields to get his reads right. Either give it to Trey Sermon, his running back who absolutely exploded in the Big Ten title game, give it to Chris Olave, or give it to Garrett Wilson, either, you know, using those screens, using ins and outs to conserve the time and get downfield a little bit. That's the situation I want to see him and what scouts will be looking at as well. Is he able to gain those yards? Is he going to be able to conserve time and save those timeouts? And what kind of execution and what kind of reads is he making on the second and third level and his second and third reads? That's going to be key to the game. Now, do I predict him to be successful? I don't know yet. I would have to see how the game goes on. Okay, I'm not just going to go out there and ball and say, oh, yeah, he's going to throw a, a game-ending pick six or he's going to throw the game-winning touchdown. I, I don't know yet. I don't know yet. But what I can tell you is about Trevor Lawrence. In that situation, regardless of what happens, if he throws a game-ending pick six, if he throws a game-winning touchdown or maybe leads his team for a field goal or maybe just goes on a three and out, it's not going to matter. His resume is so large already. He's still going to be the top pick regardless. And this is going to be Justin Fields' time to shine tonight. And you can even add a national championship to Trevor Lawrence's already stats college resume. I mean, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, Trevor Lawrence has a big edge over Justin Fields because he's won a national title and he's been in this, in this moment before. Yes, Justin Fields was in this moment last year. And I believe the Ohio State Buckeyes were driving down the field in the closing minutes of the fourth quarter. But what does he do? He throws a game-ending interception. So that's something that Justin Fields, I'm sure, remembers in his mind clearly 365 days later. It'll be interesting. But if I wanted to ask you, if you can give me a score prediction for tomorrow's game and one breakout player on either the Ohio State side or the Clemson side, do you see Dabble Sweeney's team moving to – Miami to compete for a national championship? Or do you see Ryan Day's team quieting a lot of critics and placing their name in the national title spot on Monday night, January 11th? So here, I'm going to go with the score prediction right now. And if I'm wrong, you can hold me accountable to it, clown me, whatever. I don't care. It's going to be Clemson 40, Ohio State 31. It's going to be a double, a high-scoring ball game, and it's going to be a double-digit loss for Ryan Day's Buckeye squad. And here's the thing. The X factor in this game is going to be running back Travis Etienne. Ben Browning will not be able to individually line up with Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne is such an explosive player in the run game and pass game as well. He can absolutely destroy you in zone coverage. He knows how to use his speed properly in man coverage as well. And he can even pass block as well if he needs to be in that two-minute zone where Trevor Lawrence is driving down the field to get that game-winning score. He's going to be the factor 
in this game and what he does is going to impact this Clemson offense as well. If we're saying, now let's say Justin Fields is driving, obviously he's going he's gonna to be the star name as well, someone to look out for. But I'm going to say on the defensive side, how Nolan Turner comes back from his from his halftime suspension and how he reacts during the second half. And if he's able to pick off Justin Fields and read him properly, just like how he did in last year's game as well. Those, those key situations and those key moments is what I'm going to be looking out for. I'm going to agree with you in the not necessarily the exact score prediction, but I will agree with you that I think Clemson will walk out of this game tomorrow with a, a, a win. I don't think there will be 71 total points between the two ball clubs, but I think it might be a 31-24 type ball game, or even if you want to call it a defensive game, maybe a 24-14, 24-17. But at the end of the day, I do see Clemson led by Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, and a stout defensive front. I see them punching their ticket to – Hard Rock Stadium to compete for another national championship. I see it the same way as well. Uh, it's going to be the Roll Tide and the Clemson Tigers in this national championship game, and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna see it again. I mean, at this point, it's just it's predictable, and I I I just don't know, man. Like, what are they gonna stick? With four teams in the playoffs, should they expand to eight teams, yeah. do, do a 16-game tournament? I mean – I honestly – I would love if the College Football Players Association and the college football – I would just love if every sport could just move to eight teams. I mean, I don't even really necessarily agree with the NFL having seven playoff slots. Yes, they, it, it was always six and they added one. So now you got three wild card teams from each uh, – from the AFC and the NFC. But I honestly like the eight. You I mean, you get the one playing the eight, the two playing the seven. I mean, I really don't necessarily think that teams should have a bye week. I mean, I think maybe there should be a one to two week gap before the playoffs start. That way, all the contending teams that, that are in the, the, uh, turn, the, the tournament get a one to two week period of rest. But I don't really, I don't know. I'm not really a big fan of the necessarily bye week because, I mean, at the end of the day, saying that the Kansas City Chiefs have a bye week, which – I guess you could say they're pretty much the cream of the crop of the, of the NFL. But at the end of the day, they're all, they're all professional players. They're all getting paid a lot of money to, to, to do this. I feel like it kind of shows a sign of disrespect that you're given one team a bye week. And then, but the number two seed team has to play on wild card week. But forever, it was always the one and the two seed teams had bye weeks, you know, and then the three and the six and the four and the five had was on wild card week. But Hey, welcome to, to a, to a 2020 where, you now have the two and the seven playing on wild card weekend. And on the NFL side, you hope that our Miami Dolphins are one of those seven teams fighting for a Super Bowl championship. Yeah, especially. And honestly, I think there should be an 18 tournament for the college football playoffs, not necessarily a bye week. So we can see the teams be dominant a little bit and possibly see a number eight seed upset a number one team. Specifically for the Dolphins, I mean, this is a must-win game going into Buffalo. Just win and you're in, baby. Just win and you're in. 
And that's the kind of mentality Brian Flores will need to put into his squad to get into the playoffs. And hopefully we can get a Super Bowl appearance in Tampa and a Super Bowl win with a second year manning this Dolphins franchise. That would be absolutely absurd if we're sitting here on the first Sunday in February talking about the Miami Dolphins in playing on Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, for years as Dolphins fans, and I know a lot of Dolphins fans can relate to what I'm about to say, we're so used to, you know, grabbing food, grabbing takeout, and watching other teams on Super Bowl Sunday, never really hearing our team playing on Super Bowl Sunday. But, hey, what we right now our main focus is on Buffalo, Sunday, January 3rd, a 1 o'clock kick. And the main focus, just like you said, the simplest formula for the Dolphins to clinch their first playoff spot since 2016, you win and you're in. Win and you're in. Um, I want to take this away from football for a little bit. And, you know, I want to give and do a little bit of reflection on 2020 and what it meant for us for not as Dolphins fan, but people in general. You know, it was a hard hard year for everybody and you know I'm blessed that you know I have a job I live with my parents have a roof over my head but there are still you know unfortunate people out there who rely on other sources of income going through the food drives and donations as well and last week we here at Finn Maniacs we had a Zoom telethon, and I was on there, Brandon was on there, Jason, all the guys there at Finn Maniacs, and we had our special guests as well. We were able to raise over $3,000 for local Miami restaurants and their staffs as well. So, you know, it could be a little bit of a boost to them, especially in, you know, a time like this. Uh, Brandon, I mean, this this year was just crazy. You know, what, what do you what do you have to reflect on? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, uh, as, I, as I look back from January 1st, 2020 to now tonight, December 31st, it was probably, I mean, it was, number one, it was one hell, it was one hell of a year. You, I mean, you, you never want to, you know, a hell, I mean, a COVID-19 pandemic, if you told me on January 1st, 2020, that, hey, in mid, in late February to early March, you know, you got to be a little bit more prepared because there looks like there's a, there's a major disease that's going to swipe the United States and, you know, kill hundreds of thousands of people. I honestly probably would have looked at you cross-eyed. But, you know, just to allude to your point that you said, we, you know, we, we have jobs. We live under – we have a nice houses. Uh, we don't have to worry about uh, what's going to be our next meal. Um, you know, just having that – just consistently being blessed on a uh, on a uh, day to day basis because I mean you're right a lot of a lot of people don't have the uh, sim the simplest things as as water to you know drink healthy clean fresh water water to shower um, but yeah it was I mean it was it, it it made me realize that you know never take anything for uh, for for granted and you know don't worry about the uh, about the uh, little things in life because I mean like at the end of the day. The worst thing that's going to happen on Sunday, Jan January 3rd, is the Dolphins lose and they don't make the playoffs. But at the end of the day, I think we all come together and realize that, you know, that's not necessarily 
our biggest worry. I think there's a lot more, there's a lot more bigger worries outside in, in the world right now, because as we all know, and I know Jason can, uh, can uh, agree to this on his standpoint, the world is just an absolute crazy place. I mean, again, 2020 brought absolute madness. I mean, I can speak from it. You can speak from it. Jason can speak from it. And I just think that, you know, heading into 2021 in about six and a half hours that we all can, you know, just enjoy the little things that we have in life and just always be appreciative. Well said, brother. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. Let's, I know I said we want to put this on the back burner, but let it be known. I, I hope we all take this year and learn from it, learn from all the hardships, the mistakes, the ups and down, um, even outside of football. I mean, there, there are so many other things that are a bigger worry. And I'm blessed. We're all blessed with what we have, and we should all be grateful for what we have. On to 2021, and, you know, hopefully we see a Miami Dolphins Super Bowl win, a Super Bowl berth, a playoff berth as well. And hopefully this new year brings a dominant Dolphins team, you know, a year full of blessings, and hopefully a dominant decade for this franchise. As always, guys, our Finns Maniacs listeners, thank you as always for listening. Stay safe in the new year. Stay blessed. As always, Finns up, everybody.